Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Tastemaker Conversations, a food blogger podcast for foodie influencers and content creators where we share tips and resources to help you grow your food blogging business. I'm Susie. And I'm Todd. Together we run HeyGrillHey.com. It's an online food blog that has become our family business. Yes. And today we are interviewing Kelsey Nixon from kelseynixon.com. She's also a cookbook author. She is a Food Network and Cooking Channel celebrity. And she is going to be our closing keynote speaker at Tastemaker Conference. Today we're going to be talking about kind of her experiences in food television, how she got her start, telling her story, and then talking about where she is now in terms of building up a food brand. And she's doing a fantastic job and she gives us some great takeaways. I may have cried a little, so it's definitely worth listening to. Prepare yourself to feel some things and to really become inspired and excited about the world of food that we're all a part of. Let's get started. Hey, Tastemakers, Susie here. Todd's here. And today we are talking with Kelsey Nixon. Kelsey, you can say hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, Kelsey is an Emmy-nominated TV personality. She's an author, a wife, a mom, and a cooking show host. She hosts Kelsey's Essentials and Kelsey's Homemade on the Cooking Channel. And she was a finalist on season four of Food Network Star. Her cookbook is called Kitchen Confidence, and she has an exclusive product line with the Home Shopping Network, and those help cooks navigate the kitchen with confidence, ease, and style. You can catch Kelsey dishing about her favorite sweet treats on Unique Sweets and judging on Food Network favorites like Guy's Grocery Games and Chop Junior. You can also find her on Instagram, which is one of my favorite places to follow her because she posts the most amazing Instagram images that are like these composite images of ingredients and recipes and these beautiful finished shots and they're swipeable and they are so cool. So if you guys haven't seen what Kelsey's doing on Instagram, you need to go check it out because I just love it and I love to see what you're cooking each week. It's so fun. So Kelsey, welcome. Oh, that was so nice, Susie. I'm just tired <laughs> listening to that, but <laughs> thank you for such a lovely introduction. Yeah, we are so excited to have you. Um, for those that are coming to Tastemaker Conference, Kelsey is giving our closing keynote address. So we wanted to take the opportunity to introduce you to her a little bit so you can get to know her background, get to know her story so that when you see her at Tastemaker, you can shake her hand and give her a hug if she's... <laughs> Do you like hugs? Oh, yeah. Hugs, high fives. I'm all, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for everything. Um, and just be excited about getting to know her and having her at Tastemaker Conference. So we wanted to chat with you a little bit. One thing we always love to do is just get people's background stories. Where are you roots? Where did you come from? And where are you guys living now? Awesome. So I grew up in uh, northern Utah in an area called North Ogden. And I grew up kind of in a family that loved food. Um, but no one really like was was working professionally in food. I think my my great grandmother owned a diner in Roosevelt, Utah, but that's about all I can claim as far as professional foodies in the family. Um, but my family really loved food. And I, I feel like kind of um, my passion for food came a lot from the fact that my mom worked a, a full-time job, um, but she really found stress relief in the kitchen. And I look, I work in food now and I don't always find stress relief in the kitchen. <laughs> but she came, um, she would come home from work and she really enjoyed being in the kitchen. So she never complained about cooking dinner, which I also I definitely do that. Don't get me wrong. But I just have memories of her really loving to be in the kitchen, even on a weeknight. Like this woman, she made dinner for our family, and it's something she genuinely enjoyed. And I am so grateful for that example. And not even that, I'm just like the the conversation about food in our, our home was always so fun and positive and something that I really just, I believe it established a love for food for everyone in our family as a result. So I'm the, uh, the oldest of three kids. And, um, let's see, I went to, I graduated from high school. I went to BYU. I really wanted to study broadcast journalism and, um, spent about a year in the program and realized that I love TV, but I didn't love news so much. And so, um, it was right when the popularity of Food Network was was peaking, and I just thought that my dream job would be working in food television. And so um, 
I randomly applied for an internship to work um, in New York for a summer on a Martha Stewart cooking show. And this was like literally I applied in the middle of the night on that old website like careerbuilder.com or something like that. <laughs> I, I knew nobody. It was totally a shot in the dark. And I ended up getting this internship offer. And so, you know, this girl from northern Utah and went to New York for the summer and um, rented an apartment with some other girls. And um, I, I worked on a show called Everyday Food as a production assistant. And um, it was an incredible experience. It uh, was during those Martha years when Martha was in trouble. <laughs> so Martha wasn't there. Um, she was in jail. Uh, but I, uh, so it was kind of this whole initiative for Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia where they were creating programming that didn't involve Martha. And so um, it was this incredible cooking show on PBS that involved five different hosts and all of that to say that it was just an interesting time to be at that company and really an interesting time to see um, a showcase of talent of people there that didn't involve Martha. And I learned a lot from these people. And one of the things I learned that was that if I wanted to work in food TV, um, they were really pushing me to go to culinary school. And um, it's something I was like, oh, and you know, it's such a big investment. I, it would be so much fun. But really, financially, it was a big investment. Um, so I went back to BYU and I kind of thought, should I go to culinary school and felt strongly that I should finish my bachelor degree and approached a professor about starting a college cooking show while I was there. Um, and he was kind of like, well, you can film a pilot and if it's good enough, then we'll throw it on. Um, at the time it was called iProvo, which was like this fiber optic network in Provo that had this partnership with, um, BYU broadcasting. And, um, so I did it. I filmed it at Orson Gigi, which which I know many um, you guys are certainly yeah, familiar yeah. with, along with many listeners who may be from Utah. Um, so I made some agreement with them where I would shoot in one of their demo kitchens and um, then they could use it to like air in their store. And um, that established a great relationship with the Gee family, which I just think they are the best. And um, so we shot it and my professor thought it was great. He's like, okay, you know, go ahead. You can film this and we'll even establish an elective class where if kids want to take the class for elective credit, they can work on the show and, and do it. And then he just kind of gave me free reign to create this cooking show. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Kind of crazy. But I did it, and I kind of turned it into this full-time job. I remember having to take out a loan from my dad to buy groceries because I was buying all the food for this show, and I I had no money. You know, it took the time that I would be spending on a, a job because I was also attending as a full-time student. But when it was all said and done, um, you know, I went back for another summer at Martha and worked on her. It was the first year of her show that was on NBC Universal, so her network-based show. And um, we ended up filming 100 episodes of my show on, uh, on iProvo called Kelsey's Kitchen, and they were terrible. Like, I can't even <laughs> – there are no words. The I, early years. The early years. Do they still if, survive anywhere? Can we look those up? <laughs> so this is the funniest part. They survive somewhere in South America because <laughs> – I sold them to somebody. Do you guys remember Ruth Todd? Ruth Todd was a like um, a newscaster. Oh, newscaster. yeah, yeah. And she's BYU alum as well. And Ruth started this. I, forgive me if I'm screwing up the, the details here. But Ruth started this network um, where she was going to help teach people English through, uh, through U.S. programming or something. So she came to me and said, hey, can I buy these 100 episodes of your – college cooking show and people watch and it's like a it's a platform for them to learn English and I'm like sure you can you bet so somewhere in South America these terrible cooking show episodes from 2002 are airing <laughs> and people are dying because the production value was just so poor but it was also such an incredible learning experience oh I'm and sure you know, I liken it today to people just turning on their phone camera and shooting in their own kitchen and just making it work. Um, we have we, a, many of those videos. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. You know, the oven didn't work. Like, we had no power on set. We had no running water on set. So I would wash the dishes in the bathroom sink and clogged it only a few times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I'd have to, like, make – I'd have to make two versions and – 
like cook something at my apartment kitchen and then bring it to the studio. <laughs> anyway, it was just crazy. And I worked really, really hard. Um, but what that gave me was a lot of tape um, to, to move forward. And I was really serious about pursuing a career in food television. So from BYU, I, I did apply to culinary school, um, a program in Los Angeles. And I went and I worked as a private chef while I was going to culinary school. And um, towards the end of that experience, Food Network star came through town and was doing open call auditions. And it's a show that I had been obsessed with. And um, I had actually auditioned for it the previous two years um, just by sending in a tape. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to go to the open call audition. So I went and I auditioned and they I got a call back and then I they called me back to New York where I did an in-person audition and um, I ended up being cast on season four of Food Network Star and that was a huge break for me. Oh yeah. Everyone listening should know that Susie and I watched Food Network Star religiously (laughs) also. So back eight years ago, Susie and I watched every episode closely while you were on there and we were like rooting so hard for you. Yeah, we did. I, you know, it's so crazy. I have a son who's six now and um, he has been really obsessed with MasterChef Junior as of late. And so I thought, well, now might be an interesting time to say, hey, mom did something like this. So I pulled out the old DVDs of the of when I did this show. Guys, I physically cannot bring myself to watch them. Like it is so uncomfortable for me to watch. Yep. Because just imagine watching your 22-year-old self when I totally thought I knew what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing, but like knew I needed the confidence to be like, "Oh, I totally got this." Like I just it was um I I am proud of my 22-year-old self, and I don't know that if I had I had been in my 30s or 40s or whatever, I don't know that I would have been as successful on the show because it was just kind of that I've got nothing to lose, yeah. and um and I think that really helped me. So I did the show. I didn't win. I came in fourth, but I did well enough that the network kind of kept me around, and I was a guest on a bunch of shows. And then um, when they launched a sister network to Food Network called Cooking Channel. I um, had reached out to some contacts, including um, Mr. Bobby Flay, who had been kind of a mentor to me after the show and and really kind um, to me. And he was in the business of production as well, producing cooking shows. And Bobby said, let's pitch a show. And so we pitched a show. And um, my show, Kelsey's Essentials, was one of the first pieces of programming on a cooking channel and um that was an incredible show that ran for seven seasons which um, if you guys don't know food television seven seasons it's impossible of a cooking <laughs> it's like it's unreal it's a lot it it's a lot it's um it's tough to survive you got to make you know you've got to have solid rating season after season you've got to still be a good fit for the network and um, it's like you film a season and you're so in it and you're working so hard on the content and then the first episode airs and you immediately start panicking that you're not going to get picked up for next season. Yep. Um, so it's like this crazy cycle. So I really am so grateful that we got um, that many seasons and it was such a wild ride. It was so fun. You can still watch the show. They still rerun it. I think it's on three times a week currently, yeah. but um but now that's getting to the point where I see that and I'm like, oh no, my hair in 2008 was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been long enough that this, I was shooting the show that um, they look a bit dated. So anyways, um, but that's, uh, forgive me for just spitting all of that out. But that essentially is my story from where I grew up to how I got on television. Um, and it's been a wild ride and it's such a fun ride. I think there's a huge message in there. Like, you were not an overnight sensation. You didn't just, oh, I'm going to apply for Food Network Star, and then and then all of a sudden, here you are. Like, There's a huge background of a ton of work in there. Totally. And I can remember, um, I, I have this this memory, and I for a while, I was really good at writing a journal, and I remember writing this in my journal, but um, when I was doing that show, Kelsey's Kitchen at BYU, I used to take these, laund- like these plastic laundry baskets, and after each show, I would put all the dirty dishes in these laundry baskets, and then haul them home to my apartment, and then wash the dishes, and then, you know, of course, I was a full-time student as well, and I remember writing in my journal, like, I hope this is worth it someday, because this is really inconvenient. Like, <laughs> 
no one's paying me to do this. No, this is purely like in, in the name of chasing a dream and a hundred episodes guys, they weren't fancy episodes, but still a hundred of, of content is a lot. Oh and my so gosh. I, I appreciate you saying that Todd, because I really did, even though I was young, when this kind of all went down, I worked so, so hard, um, for the opportunities. And, um, even now I look back to, you know, 19 year old Kelsey or 20 year old Kelsey and think, man, I sh- I need to work as hard as she did. <laughs> she was really good <laughs> at, at hustling, but, um, she didn't have kids and she wasn't quite as tired as, as I am now. But, but I appreciate you saying that. Cause it, I, I agree with you. Okay. Where are you guys at now? So we, after um, I did Food Network Star, I ended up marrying my college sweetheart, and we moved to New York City, and we're in New York for just about nine years, and then 18 months ago, we made the move from, um, we traded in skyscrapers for evergreens and moved to Portland, Oregon. So we now live in Portland, Oregon, surrounded by lots of green and rain, and we actually love it. And your pictures are beautiful of your house and your space. And again, I'm like going to give you an Instagram shout out. You're one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Because oh, Susan, you are so nice. You are so this nice. awesome mix of like food content and personal lifestyle content. And you just like really cover this. Like your branding is so very you and so very clear and concise. And I just love it. It's, it's a great account to follow. So oh, thanks, Susie. That's <laughs> okay, we've got your background and it is one of the most amazing stories. I love it. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Oh and my I got gosh. You, Susie, for people coming to Tastemaker, guys, I'm working on my present, my keynote now, and I am planning to include a clip from the original Kelsey's Kitchen. Yes. Abysmal. So, oh my gosh, if that's not a teaser, I can't even imagine. Up. I'm so excited. Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we want to uh, really cover some things with you. We've got your story, so we want to give some great takeaways. Um, you talked about your history of food with your family and how your mother just created such a positive feeling around food um can you talk to me a little bit about because I know your story um about how you use food to bring people together and how you use food to heal and connect with your family through shared meals sure I would love to because that has been um you know for me in my in my 20s when um this career was kind of taking off and I was newlywed and um so like food for me in that stage of life was um, really creativity-based. It was passion-based is maybe what I want to call it, where I would, you know, living um, in New York City, I would go and seek out one specific ingredient to bring home and make this meal for my husband and I. And it was, that was so much fun. And then I would get to take that ingredient and bring it on my show and get kind of this personal meets professional with passion um, kind of storyline that was so much fun. And there's no better place to be than New York City for that. And so being in New York City and being surrounded by such incredible food and access to ingredients and people doing exciting things in food really um, helped lay a personal platform for for passion for food for me. And so when I think about um, that chapter of life, that and I think about the storytelling and, you know, we lived we lived away from family and most of our friends also lived away from family. I think that when you're in New York City, you most people are there away from home, right? right. Of course, there are like born and bred New Yorkers, but um, many people are there chasing a dream. And so your friends become your family. And um, even though we're all living in, you know, 600 square foot studio apartments, um, for the holidays, you know, you invite your friends, not your family, because no one's got family there. And so when I when I think about that chapter in food, and I think about the memories and the best memories I have from my childhood are all, you know, situated around a dinner table celebrating with food, I really made an effort um, to regardless of size of the dinner table or apartment have people over when we were living in New York. And that was such a happy place for me. And food was just this thing that I lived and breathed. And then um, I kind of entered this new chapter where we decided to start a family and I had a baby. Um, he came pretty early. My, my first son came at 28 weeks 
and um, weighed two pounds and was in the hospital for over two months. And that just really kind of rocked me. Um, things had been going so well. And, um, you know, as much as I loved this dream job I had, my my real passion for life was rooted in having this family. That's what I wanted more than anything else. And it turned out it was it was looking like it was going to be a rocky road to build this family that we had really dreamed of. So we had our son. Um, that was a really challenging experience. I was right in the middle of writing my first cookbook um, when that happened. And so I was frantically trying to finish the book before my son came home from the hospital. And Anyway, so all of a sudden food started to play this slightly different role in my life where I now had this baby that um, I loved so intensely and um, it, I was figuring out how to be a mom and also have this job and, and balance those things. Um, and then we went on to, to try and, and grow our family once more and unfortunately my body just does not do pregnancy well. I've got some autoimmune issues and this baby came even earlier at 25 weeks and um, his name was Leo and he weighed less than a pound and unfortunately Leo did not make it and um, if I thought you know my 28 weeker son rocked my world I mean that was nothing compared to what we went through with Leo where he lived for about a month and then passed away due to complications from his prematurity and um, then I wanted nothing to do with food and it was really interesting um, I was going through this huge personal tragedy and um, I was right in the middle of filming a new show for a cooking channel called Kelsey's Homemade that was all about my my family, um, what I made for my family, and we were going to film the season with me pregnant, and I had an episode all about freezer meals and what I was putting away in the freezer for the new baby to come, and we were about 10 days away from starting to shoot that show when my son came. So all of a sudden, this job that I love so much, now I want to, I, like, how was I supposed to do this? You know, I, we had built a whole season around this idea of my family growing and me being pregnant and prepping for this pregnant or for this baby to come. And then this baby died. And so there was this professional element where I just needed to step out of my food professional life. And then at home, I, it's almost like I resented food in a sense where it's like, no, no, no. Food is what I do with my family, this family that I've dreamt of and, and wanted so badly for myself. And now it's not looking like I always thought it would look. And so um, I stopped cooking and not intentionally. It just became this thing where it'd be Saturday night and I'd be like, oh, I think we had Easy Mac every night this week. I think, I think that actually happened. Um, and, and uh, you know, as, as any grieving parent would do, we, we saw a therapist and we were really trying to work through our grief of losing our son and, and figuring out how we were going to grow our family and it was about six months after that experience that I realized, you know what, I just, I need to get back to some of those things that I loved about life. And I had this light bulb moment go off and it was like, I know I'm in all this therapy and trying to figure this out, but you know what I'm going to do this week? I'm going to cook for my family. I, we're going to sit down as a family every night this week and we're going to break bread together. And it doesn't matter what the food is. First, we're just going to get people to the table. And we're going to have this time where we connect and this is, we're getting back into this habit. And it was unbelievably healing for my family to, to just this practice of merely getting to the table together. And that, um, that kind of snowballed and I, it made me realize it kind of helped me fall back in love with food again, because what was happening is we were having healing at our family dinner table. And um, I can't stress enough that it really wasn't about what food was at that table. It was more about the people that were at that table and the act of coming together to, to have a meal together. And I found more healing at that dinner table than I ever found in a therapist's office. And I'm all for therapy. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I am all for, for mental health and, and doing what you got to do. But I just, um, it was, I gained a new appreciation for food and I began to view food in kind of a different light because it meant something different to my family now. And, um, from there we went on and we started making breakfast a priority too because we found that our day, ended up being so much better if even just we took five to 10 minutes each morning and sat down and 
broke bread together as a family before we went our separate directions. And I just think it speaks to the power of food and the power of meals and the power of family. And um, so since that experience, I have really made family meals and this idea of, of healing the front behind food and not in the sense of, you know, eating a restricted diet or, or only putting good things into your body, which I'm a huge fan of, but also sometimes you need mac and cheese. That's what you need. (laughs) Mac and cheese can heal a person. Sometimes eat chocolate cake and I'm all for that as well. So anyway, so that's kind of, um, that's, that's the roles that food has kind of played in the story arc of my life. Um, and since moving to, uh, Portland and kind of being in a home, um, it's been fun to have a little bit more space. and, And as my kids get a little bit older, um, to establish even more traditions and really emphasize that family dinner time. And I like, I'm just going to keep talking about you because (laughs) we've followed you forever. And Todd's sister actually had a preemie baby born at the exact same time that Leo was born. Like the same week, the same week. And she lived the same amount of time that Leo lived. And as you were grieving Leo, our family was grieving celestial. And that was like, I just, I felt so, I don't know. I just felt like I understood you at that time. And, and you let people not watch your grief because I mean, you kept your life, your life. Right. But just the evolution that I saw as I followed you through that time into where you are now and the content that you started posting was you. And I felt like it was just so incredibly authentic and there was nothing manufactured. There was, you weren't answering to other people anymore. You got to the point where you were posting content that made you happy and that made your family happy. And you were posting your meal plans and your ideas for getting your family together. And just seeing that as a priority in your social media life and knowing that that really is a true reflection of of how you were at that time personally. I think that's incredibly impactful. Sometimes we think so much about our branding or our image or our whatever it is online, but if it's reflecting where you are personally in your life, all that's going to do is just bond people to you more. And make sure. people feel like they understand you better and they can kind of digitally break bread with you and, and have those moments of, you know, that that openness and that that feeling of like, hey, she's real too and she's cooking dinner for her family and this is why. And you can pass that that on to other people and I think that's so powerful and so cool. Oh, that's so nice. And I'm so sorry to hear that about your niece. It um That is such an it is such an awful experience, um, having a premature baby and then losing a baby. I mean, it's just two big, really, really challenging things to have to go through. And, um, I am so grateful for the relationships that I have developed through an online community because I had to go through those things. Um, but it, you know, whether it's losing a parent or a sibling or having a child that's, that's sick, um, Food is a big part of all of those stories. And we, you know, my experience has been when um, things fall apart in your life, sometimes the last person you end up taking care of is yourself. And a big part of that self-care is food and, and caring for your family is is food because it's this thing we have to do three times a day yeah. and fuel. And if we don't do it, we feel even worse. And so I think that, um, I don't know that there's enough conversation around that. And so this whole idea, in fact, I, I put this up in our kitchen where it's like cook better, feel better where, and sometimes cooking better is just cooking anything at all. Like I'm once again, I'm not like, we're not going whole 30 on the family. Like I'm, I'm, congratulations if you're a whole 30 family, but it's not so much about that. It's not so much about the organic apples I'm putting in front of my family. It's about putting just cooking to the act of cooking and bringing my family to the table. That is where the power is in, in my experience. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if for anyone listening should, you know, we all go through, everyone goes through challenging things and everyone has a, a story. Um, and I, kind of challenge you to examine the, the role that, plu- that food plays in that story. Um, maybe it's a cross-country move and you just cannot find your groove in in this new life that's set up for you. Take a look at what's going on with the food. Like 
get your family to the dinner table. I guarantee that no one was like, oh, we're going to prioritize family dinner and was like, ah, that wasn't really for us. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I think that it's the, the benefits are undeniable of, of, and sometimes your family may not look like, you know, two parents and a couple kids. Sometimes that family is the friends that feel like family, like it was for us in New York. Um, or maybe, maybe it's even, I don't know, setting a time that you've got a really great friend where you get together every week and you break bread and you have a meal together. I just think that there's so much power in, in food, bringing people together. And for my family in particular, it has been so healing. Well, I think food is healing in general. Sometimes I make myself a nice meal. Oh yeah. Like, and I don't even share it. Like sometimes like we feed everybody and we have a meal together or whatever. Sometimes I just make myself a really nice meal and it looks pretty. And then I sit down and I eat it quietly. And sometimes that's self-care too. <laughs> it makes her so happy. <laughs> that is brilliant. I love that. I, um, it's, it's funny you say that because my, my husband was telling me this story this week. I have been traveling quite a bit for work lately. And so he's been kind of holding down the fort at the house and, um, it, I think it had been a crazy day, and he sent me a picture that he had made, like, um, this sounds so fancy, guys, and we're really quite normal, but he, there was, like, some burrata in the fridge, and there were some peaches and some tomatoes, and he made himself, like, this peach burrata caprese situation yes. for dinner. And my husband is really good at the dishes, but he does not do a ton of cooking. Like he, so the fact that he pulled this together and he sent me, I swear, no less than 10 photos of like, <laughs> look what I made for dinner. And I think that it's just like what you said. I think it was self care in yep. the like, been a long day. I could make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right now, but I'm going to make this peach burrata situation and sit down and savor every bite and gear up for tomorrow. So I, I love that. That's a great point. But yes, food food heals and it heals it families and it heals people. Okay, so I've sent you pictures of food that I made. Todd right? definitely <laughs> sends me pictures yes. when he makes food. Look what I did. Every time I go out of town, actually, he texts me pictures. Amazing. <laughs> of food that he makes. That's really funny. Um, so I wanted to kind of cover, you have an extra baby now. So you do have I two do. kids. You've got your oldest and then you have this sweet little girl. I do. She is, um, let's see, she'll be two in November. So my daughter, Nora, um, was born through this miraculous story where um, after I lost my son, Leo, the doctors are pretty firm that... Um, Future pregnancies were not a safe decision for my health or the health of future babies. And so we went down the path of trying to figure out how we were going to grow our family. And um, during that time, my sister-in-law approached me and said that she really um, wanted to carry a baby for us, which is something we had never even thought about. You know, I'd heard about it, but had never really explored it. And then shortly thereafter... Um, my doctor had actually recommended that gestational surrogacy would be a great option for our family should we want to pursue that. So with those two things, we really felt like it was something that we should look into. And um, so we did. And I started the process of IVF and my sister-in-law started the process of preparing her body. So we created embryos that are genetically my husband and I's and um, we shipped those embryos across the country to where my sister-in-law was and we had one unsuccessful IVF attempt and many months of trying to, to get things ready for um, a transfer that would be successful. And we were lucky enough to, to get our daughter, Nora, who just happened to be born the week of Thanksgiving, which because Thanksgiving is basically a food holiday <laughs> and just this, the most, you know, I don't know, gratitude-driven time of the year. It just was an unbelievable time to welcome this baby into the world. And um, it was, you know, I, I think about losing my son, Leo, and how hard that still continues to be of just making peace with that. But I, I strongly believe that um, because of Leo's life, we got Nora. Because had we, had we not gone through that with Leo, I don't think we ever would have pursued um, having uh, this baby and, and growing our family in this way. So she is my greatest gift from Leo and she is awesome. So yes, we've got a crazy almost two year old running around that we adore. There's something special about sisters-in-law there. You need to know this about, I'm probably going to tear up. I'm sorry, but, um, after my little sister lost celestial, 
Um, mm-hmm. Susie had this great desire in her heart to be, if, if it couldn't happen, cause my sister had some pretty bad issues with her internal organs. Uh, luckily she's been able, she just had twins about a year ago. So mm-hmm. healthy, healthy, amazing is awesome. But anyway, Susie approached my little sister and offered to be a surrogate for her. Oh, if she ever needed it, so. Susie, that's so, it is such a, um, and I know this is a podcast about food and not surrogacy, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, um, it was such a gift to witness that. Um, I like, I, and now I'm going to tear, but truly it is, it is not what we ever envisioned for our family, but to watch someone sacrifice so much for your family to grow in that way. And, um, it was just such a beautiful experience. It was a beautiful, beautiful experience for our family. It was a wonderful experience for their family. Um, and I, I get that it's not traditional, but boy, oh boy, was it such a gift to watch um, that unfold. And um, so anyways, I'm so happy to hear that your sister was able to, to grow her family and way to go, Susie. It, it was um, what a, what an offer. And yeah, we love Aunt Betsy. She is undis- like undisputably the, the favorite aunt of the family. <laughs> I and think we'll- you earned that status pretty heartily. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's been, um, I'm, I, I like, it's hard for me to even say these words out loud, but I'm in a way, I'm so glad we got to go through it. I hate saying that because it means that we had to lose my son, Leo, but, um, you know, and when I'm on my deathbed, I will look back and think that that was one of the greatest experiences of my life is to watch, um, the way my daughter came into this world. So anyways, I, uh, yeah. I, I'm all for gestational surrogacy. It's blessed our family so much. That's amazing. So you guys have this great family and you guys are living this idyllic, beautiful among the evergreens trees <laughs> in Portland. Um, but talk to me just a little bit as we kind of start to wrap this up. I want to know what life looks like now, because not just are you a mom of two young kids, you're also a food blogger. You're posting recipes on your website, driving people to your website, increasing your social media traffic. Uh, you're also a celebrity chef. So you're kind of wearing a lot of hats. Um, it's so nice of you to call me a celebrity chef. <laughs> I don't hey, feel like a celebrity. That chef. is legitimate. You are a celebrity chef. Oh my gosh. You were not after a hundred seasons or a hundred episodes of Kelsey's. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, okay. So what does life look like? Well, it's interesting. You know, I, um, entered kind of, let's call it food media at an interesting time where I was on food network star in 2008. Um, so at that point people were food blogging, but not, not in the way that they are now, not where, you know, I'm, I can make a living doing this and this is my primary profession. And so I had always, you know, I really loved the platform of television. And so I got into the industry then. And um, shortly thereafter, the pendulum just started to swing the other way in favor of digital, um, digital networks and uh, digital distribution, if you will, and things like Instagram and Facebook and all of those things really started to pick up. Netflix. Steam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I was unique in that I had been um, lucky enough to get this show on network television and have it be a fairly successful show on network television. But then I almost had to go backwards and figure out how to establish a, a digital following. Um, so most people I think, think, Oh, I'm going to, cause anyone can start an Instagram channel or a blog or whatever it may be, or start doing live videos on Facebook and think, okay, this is where I'm going to get traction and how I'm going to establish followers. And then maybe someone will approach me about doing a television show where it was just the opposite for me, where I had this television show. And I think that you would assume that, Oh, if, if you are on food network or cooking channel, of course, you'll just have this amazing, um, digital following. And that was not the case for me. And that, continues to kind of be opposite for me where I um, have established relationships and I'm very comfortable in the television space and I have great, you know, I, I have a great history there, but still every day I have to work on establishing and building this social media following. And I don't even want to call it a following. 
Uh, what's more important for me is connecting with the people that support what I do. Right. It's a community. So it's a community. So I don't want to call it a following because at the end of the day, I actually could care less what that number is. I'm far more concerned about the engagement and whether or not it's actually helping people. Right. Because if I'm going to go to the effort to create the content, I really, I genuinely want it to be helpful to someone. And so, um, whereas before you would create this, and do it for television and then it would come to people via their televisions in their homes and then they would make the recipes that way. You know, far more people consume food media differently now and it's really important that I am in that digital space um, providing that that content to support the television projects that I do and also just to be able to connect and establish that community. So, um, so anyways, I, I, I just I explain that because it's I think that maybe some um, tastemaker attendees and people who are listening will think, well, if only I could get a TV show or if only I could be on the Today Show or I could be on my local news, you know, uh, morning show and do a weekly segment. And I think that in 2018, um, nothing is like the magic answer to being successful in, in food media, because I am here to tell you, I, I have been on the today show. I've been on the today show quite a few times and I have great relationships there and it does not move the needle as much as you think it does, or you think it will. And, um, so just watch yourself as you're chasing opportunities and thinking, Oh, if only, if only, um, what's more important is to view your, food brand or what you put out there as a whole with many different facets um, and and controlling what you can control and then being open to the opportunities that come your way um, because it's important to be there in all of those different areas to really reach your community effectively and it never gets easy even, even when you got a show on Food Network or whatever yeah. I tell the hard work is still there. You are still trying to figure out how to reach people and get them that information that will be helpful to them. So there is no like, even for me, I have not woken up one day and thought, I made it. I totally did it. Like, <laughs> now this is easy. Like now this is the dream job. Because even where some people may look at me and think, oh, she's got this dream job. That's so great. I still wake up every day and work so hard to put out daily content yep. that is to people and that will never go away. Well, and that I think is there has to be, sorry, you keep no, going, but I think there has to be an element of like, do you actually enjoy the work too? Like sometimes we hear so many times you have to do this, you have to do this, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, sure. Pinterest, social media, live videos, and it changes month over month. Yeah. And even with food television, with people thinking, oh my gosh, if I could just have that weekly segment or if mm -hmm. I could just get on the Today Show, or if I could just lock down that sponsor, like, then it would be easy. But that's, that's kind of never the case. And it's always going to be work. Like, what work do you enjoy? Like, I what work is worth yes. the effort for you? Because sometimes, more. Yeah. if you're enjoying that work that you're doing, you're going to be better at it. Mm -hmm. And you're going to continue to grow in that space. But if you're just consistently putting out the should do's, because you feel obligated or responsible. Like, don't get me wrong. We all have to do work. Yeah. Like, there's always going to be parts of this job that we don't love that we have to do. But if you can focus your efforts on the part that you do love and you can really zero in on that, like, I think back to even your story of filming your college cooking class, like it was work, yeah. but you had a goal and it was a work that you enjoyed doing. So you did it yeah. and you hope that someday it would take you to where you wanted it to go. So I think enjoyment of the work that you're doing is also incredibly crucial. And a lot of people, because like a lot of people, the enjoyment comes from that community yes. and comes from that relationship building and that community be and being helpful. Yeah, I could not agree more. And one thing that I, one filter I kind of use for myself is I genuinely try to share the things that are working for me and my family in my kitchen at this time. That is that is when I develop content plans and do all of that and think about, oh, what are we going to post this month or this week? It is all rooted in what am I actually doing in my actual home um, so that I'm going to kill two birds with one stone as well. So if I just bought an Instant Pot and I got to figure out how to use this thing, well, my content for the month is going to be all about how I'm 
using this instant pot and I'm going to tell you what works for me and what doesn't work for me and what my kids liked, what my kids hated. And I think that that, that authentic conversation is what it's going to drive that engagement or like this month actually has been all about, I am, um, I'll be shooting a new uh, television show next next month, and I'll be gone from home for about a month, which kills me, but also is going to be a very exciting project. Um, but I'm taking my daughter with me to shoot the show, but my husband and my son will be here, and I have just been like, okay, I got to get this place in tip-top shape. I got to organize this kitchen top to bottom. I got to get some meals in the freezer that, you know, I'm just trying to get things set up, and that's all I'm talking about on social media right now, from organizing my pantry to finally investing in that garage freezer so I can make a batch of meatballs and throw them in the freezer. That's what people are hearing about because that's what I'm actually doing in my life and nothing about it is fabricated and nothing about it is driven by one specific sponsor or anything like, you, you know, it, it is just what you said, doing what I like and what also is genuinely working for my family at the time. Well, you said a word that I love so much, and I feel like it reflects a lot of you. Even though it's the first time it's come up this whole conversation, you said authenticity. And and I feel like that is so powerful, both on social media and in real life. There's so much that's not authentic, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we fall victim to seeing people and thinking like, they've got it made. Like they have it figured out this perfect (laughs) life. But when you're being authentic, and I I don't think like realness means exposing all the personal corners of your life. I just think authenticity is like, let's talk about where you're at. Let's talk about what you're going through in terms of like things that can help other people and engage with other people. So I have one little thing here and I was going to ask you, uh, share two to three little takeaways for those people that are listening. But I feel like after the conversation, like I've got the two to three (laughs) takeaways. So I'm going to, I'm going to like sum up our conversation. Okay. And you can add or take away or correct me if you feel necessary. But I feel like number one is be willing to work hard. Be willing to have a dream. Be willing to have a goal, even if it's a crazy goal, like being on Food Network or whatever it is. Like, Be willing to have those dreams and to put the work in to get you there because no one's ever finished a day of hard work where you can know that you put in the effort and like been bummed out about it. Right. So work hard. Number two, take a look at your food and how it's impacting your life right now. What's like, where are you at with food emotionally? Is food something, especially as food bloggers, because this happens to a lot of us, like we get food burnout. And a lot of us started because we loved food. Very few people get into food blogging because they're like, meh, about food. Like they have the passion for it. So where are you at with food now? Is it a positive relationship? Are you still feeding your family and doing the things that made you love food in the first place? And how can you share that passion with your readers more than just a recipe? Like what else can you share that's helpful, that's beneficial, that's relatable and kind of gives you more of an emotional connection to people through your food. And then the third thing is kind of that genuine authenticity. Like where are you at right now and what's working for you and what's working in your life and are your social media personas really representing who you are. And if they're not, how can you kind of tweak them a little bit so that you're better connecting to your audience and building a more personal and relatable brand? So those are my three three main takeaways from our conversation. But feel free to like jump in and add anything. Bravo, Susie. I think that that's fantastic. I couldn't agree more with any of that. Um, Uh, Yeah, I that is that is very much the way I've had to approach it. And it was kind of being able to identify that I had fallen out of love with food when I did and realize that I had a desire to fall back in love with food. And, um, you know, it took for me, it was just the act of getting my family to the table and not even worrying about the food initially. And it was just getting there and realizing how much I valued those conversations and um, that tradition and those habits. And then the food came. And, um, and now I just, I love being able to share, like life is hard, feeding kids and, and being, you know, a working mom, it is hard. Like there's nothing about my life that feels easy right now. And so if I got to do it, 
and I got to figure it out. I might as well share it with you guys what's working with me or what's not work, what's not working. Right. Um, Cause half the time that's more beneficial than anything else. And then you, I feel like you are so genuinely interested in the conversations that are happening on your platforms, whether it be your blog or Facebook or, or Instagram, because you're in it. You are in it. That's what you did Tuesday. You know, you made the the crazy whatever recipe that your kids actually ate and you're so thrilled about it because you can put it in your freezer and pull it out next Tuesday. Um, so, so really talking about the things that get you excited about food and are, are genuinely reflective of what's going on in your life. I just, I think that that would be an amazing filter for our listeners here to, to kind of put their content through and, and just reevaluate like, am I, am I doing this because it feels like it is authentic and makes sense um, right now. So Bravo. I couldn't agree more. I'm like reevaluating my content now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to say like, I, I love this conversation. I'm so excited to have you at Tastemaker and I can like Kelsey and I met this year actually for the first time in person and I saw her at Alt Summit, which is another conference. It's kind of more of a lifestyle design conference and it was in Palm Springs and I saw her in the back of the room and I literally beelined as soon as the <laughs> class was over and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Kelsey. And I mild mildly fangirled but food people like there were very few food people at that conference so I'm so excited for tastemaker because this is an opportunity like that is why I love conferences so much is you get an opportunity to connect with these people that you hear and that you see online and that you are inspired by and motivated by and you get to actually talk to them and have a conversation with them and more than that Kelsey is delivering our closing keynote address so if you felt inspired by this conversation which I know I did um I just can't even wait for the closing keynote, especially now that I know you're bringing a, uh, a clip. A clip, a behind the scenes clip. <laughs> I'm not even you guys. They are, <laughs> they are amazing. So Dude, I'm going to have to dig through the archives now and bring something for my opening keynote <laughs> yes. so that oh my we can share some of our gems from our past. Because we all start somewhere and we all <laughs> look back and have mild regrets. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, awesome. I can't wait. So anyway, right now, Tastemaker tickets are sold out. There is a waiting list. You can check us out at tastemakerconference.com. And for those of you that are attending, we are getting really close. September is coming fast. So we will see you guys in Salt Lake City, September 14th and 15th. And thank you so much, Kelsey, for hopping on the podcast. And we can't wait to see you in Salt Lake. You got it, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you are as inspired and excited about food blogging as I am after that conversation and especially excited to meet Kelsey at Tastemaker Conference and to hear her give our closing keynote address. Um, I can just imagine how fantastic it's going to be after listening to the podcast. So you guys have a great day. We'll see you at Tastemaker. It is coming up so incredibly soon and we can't wait to give you all hugs and high fives there. Thanks for listening. As always, this episode of Tastemaker Conversations was brought to you by Shiny Heads Productions. Check them out at shinyheadsproductions.com where you can get royalty-free music for your videos that you're creating. Thanks for listening. Bye.